Welcome to Roots and Sparks, hosted by me, Corey Ozer. In nature, roots nourish, give life, and connect. As humans, we draw energy from our roots. In times of change and uncertainty, our roots help keep us grounded. We will talk with people from around the world who draw strength from their roots while forging new connections as they create small sparks of hope, inciting us to imagine a kinder and more just world. My guest today is Ame Achu David, a Togolese human rights activist who lives in Liberia. She's a specialist in comprehensive sexuality education and works to dispel taboos and myths about sex and the body in her community and in her work with community-based organizations in West Africa as a capacity development specialist with Global Fund for Children. some of the messages you received about sex and sexuality as a girl growing up, Ame? So the, I'm, I'm thinking, thinking, did I receive any information or just discovered by myself? <laughs> because when we are growing up, uh, parents don't talk about uh, sexuality. At school, we don't, we didn't have any information about sexuality. So I think you discover along uh, the way uh, what sexuality is or is not. So I just remember that my dad, when I was approaching puberty, he was uh, putting a pad in my bag all the time when I was going to school. Uh, And he told me, well, something will happen uh, to you. There will be blood. uh, And if it happened, just put the pad on. Uh, so for that, uh, I, I was prepared and that was a message, but it wasn't clearly defined as a sexuality, uh, education message for the rest. I think it's mostly with the peers that you hear a lot of things about what sexuality is. And usually, you know, that, uh, there are things that are secret. You're not supposed to talk about it in front of, uh, adults. But they are not always positive messages like, oh, you know, having sex is sweet. Have you tried it? Um, But nothing about what it is, what are the responsibilities, what are the consequences that goes with it. So I I, I think it it was just discovering along the line, but no specific message that I can recall that my parents or adults around me gave me. Well, it's great to hear that your dad had that uh, thoughtfulness. I think that's rare. I think that's the one thing, good thing he did. (laughs) (laughs) So then fast forwarding into the future, I'm wondering what led you eventually to get interested in the idea of promoting education about sex and sexuality. What, what was it that inspired you? Uh, it's, it's my work um, on uh, children's rights. So after my studies, I started working with Save the Children Sweden, 
and that's where I discovered uh, children's rights for the first time. I, I, when I was growing up, I didn't know what children's rights were. I've never, I, I never heard about rights in general. Uh, because in uh, the context, the cultural context that we live in, I mean, children don't have rights, they have responsibilities, and you are told that you have responsibilities. So when I started working with uh, Save the Children Sweden, I discovered the child rights and all the things that uh, children uh, are supposed to, to have, like when the environment is conducive, uh, children can uh, make informed decisions about their lives. If yeah, parents communicate with children, uh, children, that they can grow up very responsible, which were messages that I didn't hear when I was growing up. Uh, I was growing up, it was more about you do this, you don't talk in front of big people or adults, you just uh, listen and do what you are told, no communication with uh, children. So discovering that, I I became curious about you know what what uh, children's rights, how children's rights, especially applied in uh, the African context, can lead children uh, to, like how can um, children, if with all the uh, information they get, how they become more responsible. So I think that's what what led to my curiosity. And then when we were working, I was working on uh, children's rights, but I was also given the responsibility to uh, find an innovative approach on uh, preventing HIV among uh, young people and children. And uh, we were sent to um, to uh, a training on sexuality education that was provided by a sexuality expert, a Swedish sexuality expert. And that was the first time I actually discovered what sexuality was really about. All along, when people talk about sexuality, we hear only having sex. Uh, but this training changed my life because it presented sexuality as um, knowing yourself and always making the right decision for your life. And the more you know yourself, not only the other parts of the body, but including your sexual organ, the more you value your sexual organs, the more you make informed decisions and no one can take advantage of you. You gain self-confidence. So it's all about you, actually. I discovered that we are born sexual beings and we will die sexual beings, not because we have the capacity to have sex, but because we're born with sexual organs, as simple as that. And, and that's what really prompted my, my curiosity and my interest to know more uh, and see how we can, uh, I can replicate that with uh, uh, adolescents who need just that information. Uh, and also, I learned the skills to transmit the information. Usually what we hear is children are told not to do this, not to have sex, not to do it, not uh, just focus on your... So the, it's just about telling them what to do, imposing things on them, but never have a, a space to reflect on the consequences of their decisions, never to reflect on why they should consider different options, reflect on uh, 
uh, on what will make them contribute to their happiness. And that was also something that I learned and started applying with the different groups of uh, children that our partners were working with or start training the partners on how to do things differently. So that's where my interest uh, came from. And then after when I started having my own children, I decided to apply all the things that I learned uh, with my kids. And today I've seen the benefits of uh, sexuality education. And I always tell them, I wish I, my parents were like me today, <laughs> giving, giving me all this information. You know, there were things that I did that I wouldn't have done. But I understand that parents can only give what they have. If you don't know, you can give what you don't have. And I think today, I the way I raise my kids with sexuality education from the very early age, it is simply because I learned. Uh, I went to trainings. I discovered new things. Uh, and 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 my uh, desire is to ensure that all children uh, have that information, especially before adolescence, so that they can make informed decisions about their lives. Mm, well, thank you, Ahmed. That's such an interesting story. And I know that I've noticed also here in the United States as well that sex education often is associated with harm, with the notion of harm and risk and what will happen if you get sexually transmitted diseases. And it's not really uh, very connected to that idea of a whole person. This is a part of life and how to have healthy relationships. So that's a really, really interesting point. And I'm wondering on the other side, so when these topics are associated with shame or secrecy or they're hidden or people don't have the information, what are some of the harms that can happen? What are some of the negative effects um, of that? Oh, a lot of negative effects. Um, well, children are curious by nature. <laughs> so uh, anything that is uh, secretive, they will find a way to discover what is behind that secrecy. Uh, and, and, and because they are curious, they often um, take make decisions or take actions uh, where they don't really reflect on the consequences of those actions. Um, so what happens is that when the children, and, and research has shown that uh, a lot of studies have proven that when children don't have access to information, they want to try to have sex and see what it is. And when you're trying, you are unaware of uh, both the positive consequences, which I can have pleasure, <laughs> uh, but also some of the negative consequences that could be, I can also fall pregnant for a girl uh, who, uh, um, who who have un unprotected sex. I can also uh, fall into uh, sickness or an infection because the person that I'm sharing my body with, I don't know whether that person has uh, any infection or not, because infections are not written on your forefront. You have to do, you have to do tests to know. Uh, so people, a lot of people look healthy, but actually they might have infections. But the child doesn't know, the adolescent or the young person doesn't know that unless they are told before. Um, 
Yeah, and, and all the emotions, the deceptions that come with it. Sometimes we lose adolescent or young people simply because, well, somebody betrayed you, you had sex after the person said, I don't love you anymore. And well, you just feel like that's the end of the world. And you, you, you can just go and kill yourself because of that. And we do lose a lot of children or adolescents uh, because of those deceptions. So, uh, yeah, it, it, the, the, the fact that they are not told, uh, they are not given information and they are not prepared is making us lose them, uh, which we could uh, avoid if we just break break those taboos around sexuality and uh, uh, openly discuss uh, these issues with with them, mm, yeah, I think that's a really important point. And it's it's ironic that sometimes I think the argument that's made for not having sex education is that it will uh, it will introduce kids very early to the idea of sex. But actually, what you're saying is just the opposite. That without that information that they are more likely to get involved without knowing what they're doing, really. I, I just want to uh, react on what you said, that actually we it's because we don't trust children. We think that they don't have the capacity to analyze. So when we tell them about uh, sex, they will go and experiment, which is completely the opposite. The, the children are intelligent and they know they are rational. When they have information, they process the information. Now the information has to be uh, scientific. It, it has to be presented in a way that it helps them to reflect. Um, so we have to maybe change the way we view children to be able to trust them that when you give them information, they are able to use it uh, meaningfully for their lives. I think that's a really powerful point that it has a lot to do with the trust and capacity of children and adults needing to realize that. I, I completely agree. And so just thinking about this issue around the world, it, it seems like the reluctance to communicate and share knowledge about sex is pretty common around the world. Maybe there are a few exceptions, but generally speaking, I think we see that in so many contexts. I'm wondering if there's some unique aspects of where you are situated, where you grew up, that play a role in how this topic is perceived. Uh, yeah, like you said, um, almost all around the world, I think the Nordic countries in Europe, they have been able to advance quite a lot. Um, but I've been traveling a lot, working with a lot of young people and adults. And I think generally uh, sexuality is still a very difficult topic uh, for many people all around the world. Um, uh, where you will not expect, in the context of Africa, uh, many people think that <laughs> Europeans uh, are ahead and they can talk openly. But I've also seen you some Europeans that are, uh, they don't know what to say <laughs> to their kids. They are also, uh, they feel ashamed to talk about sexuality education. But I must acknowledge that a lot has been done uh, over the past uh, 20 years since sexuality education uh, has been a topic that, uh, uh, especially UNESCO, UNFPA, 
uh, and uh, also uh, uh, some international organizations uh, have started investing in. Um, we've worked a lot uh, on uh, on training um, uh, civil society organizations and even government uh, institutions on the importance of understanding why it is important for uh, sexuality education to be taught, uh, particularly in schools, because schools uh, has the framework for scientific information to be uh, transmitted to young people. Now, there's one thing in the context of Africa that we also need to understand is that before uh, or in the past, there used to be uh, sexuality education. Uh, I, I don't know why it, the situation changed now uh, to, uh, be, to the reluctance to teach it. So, for example, in Sierra Leone, they had this uh, family health, uh, family health uh, subject uh, where the, the, the students were taught about sexuality on different issues about sexuality. So you see the older generation, uh, they know a lot. They knew how to take care of themselves. They knew how to make informed decisions because they were taught in school. But um, I'm still yet to understand why all those subjects were taken out of the uh, the curriculum. And 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 now uh, the, there is so much resistance to sexuality education. Uh, so there's a need to go back. But I think um, a lot of mindsets are, are changing. Uh, and that um, there's a lot of effort that is being done for people to understand that it is important and we can continue to afford to have uh, the highest number of teenage pregnancies, uh, have unsafe abortions, uh, and have uh, rape uh, simply because we are we don't want to see the issues. Uh, so yes, there is progress, but it's also very small progress and we still have a long way to go to make sure that we break the taboos. But all around the world, it's still a big issue, uh, whether Western world or African or Asian or American, uh, it's the same issues everywhere. So it, it should be a collective effort to ensure that we create a better world for our children. Mm, well, I know that you're a part of that effort and the work that you do with grassroots organizations, that some are led by young people, some are centering children and youth in their work. And I'm wondering, in, in that work that you do with organizations, are you seeing an interest in change coming from the people that you're working with? What are some of the attitudes that you're seeing when you're bringing up these issues and having these conversations? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of interest uh, to change. I think it all depends on the approach. How are we approaching the issues? Uh, how are we bringing in the discussions um, for people to reflect? and uh, the, the, the methods that we are also using. So usually when you uh, enter... Um, you're working with civil society organizations and the emphasis is about go back into your own childhood 
and, and just reflect on what you went through. What were you happy with? What were you not happy with? And when you bring it back to yourself, then you really understand what the children are going through. The issue is not about the children. The children want information. The issue is about adults. Um, so it's all about bringing the adults to go back in their childhood and just, just do the self-reflection of how some of the situations they've been through affected their life positively or negatively. And that's how, and you make the link with what today's children and young people are going through. And that's when a lot of people realize that, yeah, they, there's actually uh, work to do and what they went through during their youth days is the same issue that they are going through. But somehow you, we re, um, uh, uh, we we uh, we just uh, uh, reiterate uh, what we have gone through unconsciously on our children. Uh, so people usually they, they are positive once they have the right information uh, that the right method is used to help them understand why it's important, um, and also uh, creating the space to listen to the children and young people. So in the work that I'm doing with our partners right now is to help them to see, to listen to the young people and not to tell the young people or assume that the young people don't know, but to really take time and just listen to them. And by listening to them, a lot of adults realize that they know. Young people know what they've been through. They don't. They are not happy with it. Uh, and there's, there must be a change, and the change is from them, the adults, and not the young people. Um, so it all depends on the approach, and a lot has to change with the approach, the way we work with the partners, the way we work with the young people, the way we create the space for the young people to express themselves. And I think that the emphasis should actually be put on creating the space for adolescent our children, young people in general, to express themselves and for the adults to listen uh, because we can continue to impose what we think on this generation. And the generation is living in a, a time where they are confronted with so many challenges. In our time, we didn't have internet. We, even the TV, <laughs> right? we didn't have all those things, you know. Now you can watch porn uh, on your phone, whatever you are. Children have access to pornography. Uh, and so unless you, you equip them to always make the right choices for themselves, they, well, they will just be exposed and think that whatever they watch, whatever they listen to is the right thing. So we adults need to, to wake up. And I think the partners are understanding this and they are doing amazing work in the, in the communities, in the, in the urban areas where they are working with young people, uh, trying to change their mindset. But we still have a long way to go. Oh, now that's a great point. Um, so I wonder in the process then of working with these organizations, are you finding sometimes that adults themselves are lacking information or lacking the the confidence or the comfort to talk about 
sex and, and these issues themselves. And if you do find that, how are you addressing that? Because it seems that that has to be, there has to be a certain level of comfort before even going to that step of really listening and creating space for young people. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. They have to work on themselves first. And that's why we always start with a training on uh, comprehensive sexuality education uh, to understand what it is, what is it exactly, and then take the, the partners themselves through a journey. Um, this uh, approach is called process-oriented approach. It's a process. Uh, it's not just a one-time event, but it's a process, a process of reflecting on yourself, reflecting on what you have been through, uh, and uh, how you felt about it, and uh, and understanding uh, understanding um, why children need to communicate, working on your communicating uh, communication uh, skills uh, with your children, and it starts with your own children first. Uh, so, in the, most of the trainings and the mentoring that we're doing with the partners, we hear a lot about. Uh, before this training, I, I I didn't know how to communicate with my children. Uh, before this training, I didn't know myself. I never s dared to look at my sexual organs. Uh, I didn't know the different parts of my sexual organs. Uh, and I didn't know what happened. In some contexts, some of them have gone through female genital cutting and they have never seen a normal organ before. So when we do sexual anatomy, it's the first time that some people see what a normal sex, <laughs> sexual organ should look like. And, and sometimes it's traumatizing for them to discover that uh, they do not have, for the women, for example, that they do not have the sex or some they, their sex have been tampered with. Uh, some of them, uh, they were ashamed to even look at... Uh, the opposite sex. But when we go through the trainings and the mentoring with them, we help them to break all those taboos, to feel comfortable. Uh, because you can't give to the young people what you don't have. If you're not comfortable with your own sexuality, you it will be difficult for you to facilitate sexuality education sessions with young people. And we, we also hear that when we go for mentoring and uh uh, so helping them uh, in facilitating sessions that the, the discomfort is sometimes there or they don't know how to go about it to make the children feel free to talk. Uh, but once they are equipped uh, to do it, uh, they, they do it mar marvelously with the young people. But you're right, it is you. it has to start with the adults themselves, the partners themselves, just uh, dealing with their own issues uh, and then feeling comfortable and, and knowing that whatever they are discussing with the young people is for their own good and they are not pushing or encouraging them to do anything wrong. But it takes time. Uh, it's not just a three-day training, five days training. It, it's a process. It, it's a process that takes time. It takes time, sometimes years for, for, for the individual to completely feel comfortable or finding words or methods to uh, facilitate the session. And that it, it has to start with the partners first uh, before they are able to 
to to interact uh, uh, meaningfully with their uh, adolescent or young people. Mm, well, thanks for that. Um, and I'm wondering also about the role of religion and its influence in the African context, and also how religious leaders can contribute to this process of change, knowing that they often play an important role in religion often plays an important role in people's lives in different ways. Hmm. Yeah, religion play <laughs> religion plays a very important role in the African context. Uh, but we have to understand that uh, the religious leaders are individuals themselves who have grown into a, con- a cultural context uh, and that uh, need also to go through uh, some education <laughs> Uh, to be able to understand. But um, I often hear people say, well, the religion people would not accept us. They would not uh, uh, talk about sexuality. But it's not true. I've also seen some very powerful religious leaders, very enlightened, very progressive, who are doing amazing work around Africa, who have understood the importance of uh, educating young people on, on these issues. Uh, but unfortunately, we have few people who keep on saying that, well, the majority of them um, do not accept it. But, uh, well, there's a lot of misinterpretation uh, also of the, uh, the religious texts, um, mainly the, the Bible and the Quran that I know. Uh, people interpret differently. Uh, and uh, uh, there are also, we must acknowledge that in, the, in this religious text, we also have some cultural contexts that are, uh, not, do not promote gender uh, equality. Um, women often are, uh, are portrayed in this text uh, in, in, and it maybe the cultural context is not really the religious principles uh, or the spiritual principles, but the context in which uh, the, those texts were written. Uh, there was a lot of uh, gender inequality during those times, which people like to promote. Maybe it's also good for them to use it to continue to ascertain the patriarchal system. Um, but uh, if we want in the African context to work on sexuality education, we need to uh, work along with the religious leaders uh, that are enlightened, that are progressive, and uh, they can be allies in uh, promoting sexuality education. And we have really powerful ones that we need to build on. Um, and and have that uh, dialogue about uh, how religion helps, favors, or encourages the well-being of individuals, whether they are boys, they are girls, or they are men, or they are women. So there is a need. We can't leave religion out of the context. In in some countries like Mali, there was a lot of uh, progress with sexuality education, but one day there was an imam that came out and started saying that, uh, well, uh, the Western world was encouraging the children uh, to promote uh, uh, promoted homosexuality, associating uh, sexuality education with homosexuality, and everything came to 
uh, a halt simply because of that uh, religious leader who uh, told people that it was the um, uh, it, it, there was a wrong motive on sexuality education. So there's a, a need to truly work with the religious leaders and to have some dialogue about what religion is really saying about ourselves, our bodies, and how to make informed decisions about our lives. That's a really important point about the, the value of dialogue rather than always a sense of opposition. And I think just, just hearing you mention the homosexuality, I think that prompts me to think about LGBTQI issues, which are part of this larger spectrum of education and talking about sex and sexuality. And I wonder how, how you are seeing these issues navigated in your context as well, knowing that it can be, it can be very, uh, very sticky or it, you know, just looking at the, the recent legislation, Uganda, knowing that there, there is a lot of controversy and wondering how you see this playing out uh, in your context. Yeah, the issue of the LGBTQI, um, I think is an issue, is a universal issue. Um, if you look at the Western concept, the context, uh, well, it's been a journey <laughs> to arrive at uh, understanding that uh, everyone has rights and that there's uh, diversity uh, in this world. Diversity is everywhere, including uh, sexual diversity. Uh, so in the African context, we need to understand that nothing is being imposed by the Western world and that people are simply, contexts uh, are simply evolving. Uh, if we read history in the Western world, people were killed because they were homosexuals. Uh, people were sent to psychiatric uh, facilities because they were homosexuals. Uh, people's hands were cut off. Uh, even up to recently, many people couldn't come up and say, I am a homosexual if you are a famous footballer or a famous uh, actor. Isn't it? It's, right, it's, exactly. it's impossible. Yeah, it's it, it's it's uh, everywhere. It's a generational also uh, issue. Um, I I have my former boss who is from Sweden, Sweden, who told me it's a generational thing. When they were growing up, they didn't really uh, live in that context. It was taboo to talk about those things. But today, the context has evolved. But they still feel when you are fifty and above, you still feel uncomfortable when you see young people kissing in the street and all that. And, and it's the same thing for us. So we need to understand that nothing is exclusive to uh, the African context, and we need to learn and open our, our eyes on the reality uh, or, or the, what is going on in, on the ground. So the fact that we continue to discriminate, to stigmatize people, we're pushing uh, uh, people to adopt some harmful practices underground, um, and and sometimes, well, uh, they we we just we discriminate because we don't know we don't know what's the life of people, what they are going through. Uh, most people think that sexuality is uh, a, it's it's a behavior you can change overnight. No. You, mm -hmm. you, it's not a behavior. You, you. Some people 
are born like that. They've been suffering throughout their uh, childhood. They've been struggling to understand why they are different. Uh, and they just want answers. So sexuality education helps them to understand who they are. Uh, the studies shows that we lose a lot of adolescent uh, for uh, true suicide because especially the uh, the children who feel attracted to the same sex, they commit suicide. Why? Because they just don't understand why they're different. They don't, they don't understand why they have to put themselves through all the stigmatization simply because they're different. So in the context of uh, Africa, we need to understand uh, take time to understand the realities that people are going through. But now let me also talk about the Western world. The Western world needs to change its approach as well. You cannot impose on people to change overnight because the Western world didn't change overnight. It took you years and years to understand that uh, LGBTQR rights people who are born differently and they need to be to to have their rights respected. Uh, so you can't just come to Africa and say, well, you have to accept this or we don't give you aid. We can exchange aid and impose things because that's not how it works. It, it doesn't work like that. You have to allow people to also go through their own process of understanding, of deconstructing or unlearning and relearning. That's how it should work. So we should we should really uh, look at how we help understand and then help people create that environment for ev everybody to enjoy their rights. So yeah, it's a pro process, uh, but we need to review both the Wilson world and the, the African leaders need to also uh, review the way they deal with their citizens and acknowledge that the world is diverse. The, the world is definitely diverse in all aspects of diversity, economic diversity, yes. physical diversity, <laughs> you know, uh, physical diversity uh, and sexual diversity, all kinds of diversities. So we need to really acknowledge that and, and just accept people for who they are. And, and we need to stop losing our children simply because we don't want to agree or accept that people are different. Absolutely. And I think a key really comes down to listening, listening, understanding, and recognizing that these processes of change take take time, take time and yeah. patience. Um, yes. So with that in mind, I'm wondering if there are any stories of transformation that you've seen or you've experienced when people break through these taboos and see change emerge in their own lives. Oh yeah, there there are a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh uh stories that I have. And and I will start with my own children. Um because when you're working on issues and uh <laughs> you don't see the impact in your own children, then there is something wrong. Uh, so just seeing my children growing up responsibly and focusing on their studies. So we talk a lot since they are kids. We talk about their bodies. We talk about, you know, uh, relationships. We talk about peer pressure. And and from the very early age, and when they reach adolescent, all those uh, 
discussions on some of these issues help them a lot navig- to navigate how to relate to their friends. Um, so we, we discuss and sometimes they tell me how it's very difficult when you have friends who are already by 12, 13, 14, they are in, into sex. Uh, and then my kids come and say, no, I, I, I am not ready for it uh, because we talk a lot about, about it. Uh, so sexuality education, when it is well done, it should really uh, be uh, transformative. We should see it on the children that we are working with. Um, the young people that I work with also uh, in my work, uh, many of them, I, I really feel proud of them. Uh, so uh, all the information, they become very close to you uh, because they feel that you are someone they can come to and they can talk to. And as the partners also work on themselves and create that environment, uh, we can see that the young people are happy to come and, and talk to them and be uh, and see them as mentors that will guide them. Because all that these young people want is to have adults who trust them and who are there to guide them. So I've seen so many changes in the rural areas that we work. There was this girl who came to the Adolescent Girls Summit. And um, now when I look at her, she's a leader. Uh, an accomplished leader, and especially the boldness and the self-confidence that comes out of it uh, is, is remarkable when, when children are equipped and, and they know their rights and they, 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 they value themselves uh, because they are giving, they, they have information. It's, it's simply beautiful. And I've seen the boldness in challenging the harmful traditional practices like female genital cutting or early marriages uh, because they they now have information that uh, they should prioritize their well-being and nobody should subject them to harmful practices. And before working with the some of the partners, you won't believe it, but the partners talk about gender equality. But some of them are afraid of the culture, <laughs> the cultures, their cultures. So it's difficult for some of them, for example, to talk about female genital cutting. Some of them didn't even want to talk about uh, sexual organs. They're like, this is taboo. I don't know how I'm going to draw the male sex. <laughs> and I can't see the... <laughs> I can't see the female sex because, uh, well, my parent told me not to look at the female sex. Uh, but when they break all those taboos, uh, it, it's, it's really nice to see them uh, being fulfilled. And a lot of people also tell me how in their homes, uh, there are changes in the way the relationship, because they have a better understanding of how relationships should function, that a, a man can decide everything alone. Uh, it should be a, a teamwork in the in relationship. Uh, so the more uh, the more people are enlightened, the more they have information, uh, the happier they are. And I've seen so many happy people, so many young people who have unleashed their power who have become very focused uh, uh, to achieve what 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 they want to achieve uh, simply because you have created that space uh, 
for them to discover who they are, discover their potential, know themselves. Uh, there are so many stories of those young people and the partners uh, that we are working with who always share that their lives have been transformed because of the, um, uh, the, the information received. Well, that's wonderful to hear. And I think one thing that really comes through that is this sense of joy, that there is a lot of joy in breaking through these issues and connecting with your own stories and getting rid of that uh, of that feeling of shame and fear. So that, that really shines through in what you're sharing. And I wonder what advice you might have for ordinary people who say, okay, I'd like to, I'd like to be more open about sex and sexuality with my own children, with people in my lives, but I don't know where to start. What would you, what would you say to someone like that? <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, the advice is that uh, first uh, you have to be convinced that uh, you, you are born with a sexual organs and your sexual organs are part of you. Uh, you have to believe that uh, your sexual organs are beautiful uh, and that you need to value it, be proud of it, uh, and, um, and take care of it. Uh, so it starts with those, uh, that, that mindset uh, about who you are and the value of the sexual organs. If there were bad things, I'm, don't, I'm not sure we would have been born with it. <laughs> so first is about uh, valuing and understanding that, yeah, your sexual organs are beautiful. So the way you value your sexual organs, once you start, uh, you break away with the shame, uh, with the negativity about the sexual organ, then you're able to uh, radiate that through the people around you. So you're no more uh, ashamed of talking about your sexual organs. You can call them by the names and the children, they know it. Uh, and the way you value yourself, you value your sexual organs, uh, that's the same thing that you do to the young people around you. Just have a discussion about why they should value the uh, sexual organ, why they should know it by name, why is it that no one should play with them and that they should always be in control of their own lives and they should always value their well-being, uh, all aspect of their well-being. Uh, so once individuals deal with themselves, sometimes I understand there's a lot of issues with um situations that um, some people have gone through in their childhood uh, and that's what make them not to uh, value themselves. Uh, but you have to overcome that and then believe that, you know, you are meant to be happy. You are meant uh, to have a, a very fruitful uh, life, uh, an enjoyable sexual uh, uh sex, sex sexual life uh, and that sex should always be something positive it should always be something enjoyable when you decide to share your body with somebody so i think we just need to break um that mindset that 
sex is a negative thing <laughs> uh, and uh, break away with all the stereotypes about if you do this, the negativity, but always have a positive approach to sexuality. It's something beautiful, uh, but you always need to make informed decisions about how you want to use it. So it's, it starts with the person, the individuals. And once you 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 value uh, your sexual organ, then you're able to talk freely about it. Mm, I like that. So again, it comes back to that individual work that people need to do and that reflection about themselves and their own lives. And, and seeing it seems like seeing sex and sexuality as part of holistic well-being in someone's life and not only this isolated topic because there's so many connections with other parts of our lives. Thank you so much, Ame. This has been a really enriching conversation. Thanks for sharing your thoughts with us today. You're welcome. And thanks for giving me the opportunity to share. Thanks for listening to Roots and Sparks. For comments or questions about this episode, or suggestions about future guests, please reach out to Corey Oser on LinkedIn or Instagram and follow Roots and Sparks on your favorite podcast platform.